Well, something happened last night that um, maybe it's happened to you before. I, you know, the icy death was coming last night. So I was sent on a mission to Kroger. I had to get a few things in case, you know, we wouldn't come out until 2013 or something like that. And I walk into Kroger. I went to the Fort Mitchell Kroger, and maybe this has happened to you before. You walk in, and there's that little small area where all the carts are. And I walk in, and I was going to get one of those manly real small carts. And you walk into Kroger, and right as I walked in, I made eye contact with this woman who's right in this area. I looked at her, she looked at me, and there was something familiar about her, but I just couldn't place it, but she could place it. She looked at me and she said, Tim, and maybe you've experienced this. You know how you can kind of pause time for like one or two seconds, but in that one or two seconds, you have like a hundred thoughts. So I see her and the Rolodex is running through my mind, and I'm thinking, church, I don't think so. If you're here tonight, sorry, I don't remember who you were last night. But I thought, church, I don't think it's that. Job stuff, no, I don't think it was that. Um, I was going back to high school 25 years ago. Who is this person? I had no idea. Even right now, I have no idea who she was last night. So I did probably what you would have done when somebody says your name, and they obviously know you and you don't know them. I looked at her and said, hi. And I knew I was safe. I knew I was safe because... She was in the middle of a conversation with somebody else. So I thought, I'm just going to fake this. I'm just going to say hi to you. I'm not going to embarrass her. I'm not going to embarrass myself. You know, I should remember her, but I really don't. So I went over and got my cart, quickly just kind of did a little wave, walked past and walked into Kroger. I took a right, and I'm just, it's going through my mind, who is this person? This person really knows me. Who is this? And I go, I go a bit to the right, pick up two or three things, and think, okay, here's what I've got to do. I've got a plan. I've got to quickly get through Kroger. I've got to get out, and hopefully I won't see her again because I can't remember who this is. So I go over here, pick up two things, quickly go to the back, and as I go to the back of the store, back in the way back corner, I turn this aisle, and right as I turn it, she must also have some superhero roadrunner-type speed because she didn't leave. Instead, she flew to the back of the store, and as I turn the corner, there she is. And it's only just her and just me in this aisle. And again, time kind of paused, and I thought, okay, I can't jump to the ceiling. I don't have Spider-Man kind of powers. I can't go left. I can't go right. She's seen me. I sure would like to dig a hole and hop in it, but I can't do that. So I thought, I've just got to kind of own up to this. So she was like 20 feet ahead. I'm pushing my little tiny cart, and I'm walking towards her, and I get five feet away, and I say, hi. And then the grace of God. Then she's looking in her cart. She turns her head, and as she turns her head, she's on her cell phone. I was like, yes. I don't think I really did that, but inside, I mean, I was dancing. I was going crazy. And I just kind of walked past her and said, oh, I'm really sorry. I'll talk to you again later. And left. And I went over here, and I got two or three, and I got some milk, some kind of stuff. As quickly as I could, went to the far other end of the store, quickly left the store, got home, and realized that I forgot a couple of things that I wanted to get at the store, just simply forgot. And we've all had times like that, right, where you see somebody, and they know you. You don't know them, and you've just forgotten, right? And maybe we also have some other things in our life that we're really glad that nobody else here knows. We've done some things. Maybe we've been to some places, and we just would really like just as soon to forget those things. But at the same time, there are some things in our life that we cannot afford to forget. And here's why, and it's really the point of this evening's message, and I want to kind of start with it up front, and it's this quote. 
It's from a man named Anley Stanley. He's pastor, author, and he says this. He says, God's faithfulness in your past cast a shadow of hope over your future. God's faithfulness in your past cast a shadow of hope over your future. And as we look into our future, maybe it's filled with some uncertainty. We don't know exactly what tomorrow holds. If we forget to factor in God, if we forget all that God has already done into our lives, and as we face the uncertainty of the future, we don't factor in God's, we find ourselves making some decisions that we otherwise wouldn't make, maybe doing some things, starting some relationships we wouldn't otherwise start. If we forget to factor in God, of course there's uncertainty. Of course there's fear. Of course there's worry. Best way I can illustrate to you is the story that we're going to look at tonight. And the story we're going to look at tonight is a small part of the life of Elijah. And Elijah in this story is basically a man who forgot. But Elijah is an incredible person in Scripture because, first of all, he is one of two people that we're aware of who never died. How cool is that? Never died. He also is somebody through whom God performed miracles, brought somebody back from the dead. God used Elijah to do that. And then in what might be one of the most just mysterious parts of Scripture, do you remember the transfiguration? Jesus, Peter, James, and John go up a mountain to pray. And while they're there, Jesus, his whole appearance changes. God's voice speaks down from heaven about Jesus, but also Moses and Elijah appear. I mean, Elijah is a spiritual giant as we see him in Scripture. But that's what I love so much about tonight's story. And it's really one of the things that I love about Scripture. Because if I was writing Elijah's story, if, if I was given that charge by God, I would not have included all of tonight's story. I would have left the second part of the story out. I mean, if I'm in charge of telling Elijah's story, I'm going to tell about the successes, the victories, the highs, but maybe the other kind of stuff, his weaknesses, failures, things like that, maybe I just kind of, you know, leave those out. But that's what I love so much about Scripture. I mean, we see the heroes of the faith, warts and all. And by doing so, I feel like, and maybe you do, maybe you do too, when you read these, these big failures by these heroes of the faith, you think, you know, I can relate to that. The big faith, the big prayers. Maybe one day I can aspire to that. But the royal failures, the mess-ups, the sin, I mean, that's Tuesday in my life, right? I mean, I can relate to that. So what's so great about tonight's story? You see, tonight's story about Elijah is basically all about a man who forgot. And as we go through the story, maybe you're going to think the same thing I thought when I read it again recently with some fresh eyes. Hadn't read it in really a long time and decided you know, just to kind of read it again and going through the story. And as I went through the story and read the first half, and then I get to the big change in the middle, I thought as I read it, I thought about Elijah, I thought, you know, if I can be so blunt, I thought, how could you be so stupid? I mean, I thought, Elijah, how could, after all that God has done in your life, how could you forget? I thought that for one or two seconds, and I started to think about my own life. 
and how in the midst of my day-to-day stuff and family stuff and health stuff and planning for the future, that sometimes I find myself afraid. Sometimes I even find myself kind of overwhelmed with anxiety. And I think God must look down from heaven and say, Tim, after all I have done in your life, how could you be so afraid? I think the answer is real simple. When I forget God's past faithfulness, when I forget everything God has already done in my life, when I forget to factor him into my future, of course there's fear. Of course there's anxiety. The story we're going to look at tonight, if you brought your Bibles, is found in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. And the story is a bit of a long one, so I want to shorten it for you up front. And the story takes place in the nation of Israel. You probably know that. In Israel, at this time, they had gone against God's plan. God said, you don't need to be like everybody else. I will be your king. You don't need a king. They said, God, we really want a king. He said, I'll be your king. No, we please give us a king. God finally relented and gave them a king. And throughout Israel's history, basically, they have this series of really bad, really bad, really bad kings, an occasional good king kind of sprinkled in, but mostly just really bad kings. And one of the kings, tonight we're going to look at, is a king by the name of Ahab. Now, Ahab is a name you may or may not recognize, but you've definitely heard of his wife. His wife's name was Jezebel. It's not a name we use very often, right? I mean, you don't see this happy new couple, and they have a brand new baby. Oh, isn't she so cute? She's so pretty. What's her name? Oh, her name's Jezebel. You just don't hear that very often, right? It's because a lot of the bad things in this story is attributed to her name from what we're going to see tonight. Now, even though Ahab was king, even though he was you know, supposed to be completely in charge, really, Jezebel was the one who held all the power in the kingdom. And one of the things she did soon after Ahab became king was she introduced all the pagan gods that she worshipped to the Israelites. And really, over just a short period of time, suddenly all of Israel turns their heart from the one true God and begins to worship Jezebel's God. Now, of course, God sees this, and he's very patient. But over time, this really begins to anger God. The Bible tells us that God is a jealous God and that he will not share his glory with another. And now his chosen people are worshiping a false god. This goes on for a while, and eventually God tells Elijah, he says, you need to go present yourself to Ahab and tell him that judgment is coming upon Ahab and upon Israel because they've turned their back on me. He said, here's how the judgment is coming. A drought is coming upon Israel, and it is not going to rain for years. So Elijah gives this message to Ahab, which makes Ahab furious. Ahab puts a death sentence, really puts a hit upon Elijah. God knows this this is going to happen and says, Elijah, you give this message, you tell him what's going to happen, and then you just run. Just get out of town. Elijah tells the king, and he takes off. In the Bible, this is really incredible. We don't have time for this, but the Bible says that for three years, God took care of Elijah. First, Elijah goes, and he camps by a brook. And God has a great delivery service, a raven, brings him food every morning and every evening, meat and bread twice a day. God feeds Elijah. Eventually, because there's, a, there's this drought, the brook dries up, and God, because he must love irony, says, okay, it's time to leave the brook, but I'm going to send you now to Jezebel's hometown where a widow is going to take care of you. Miracles through Elijah, or from God through Elijah, take place when Elijah is in Jezebel's hometown. And the whole time, Ahab is back in the palace, furious. Everywhere he goes, he's looking for Elijah. 
Because by now, the drought is not just a few months old. It's a few years old. And Israel is really kind of on the brink of losing it all. And here's where our story picks up. Look over at 1 Kings 18, 1 to 2. God has told Elijah it's time to go back. The time here at the brook is over. The time with the widow is over. It's time to go present yourself to Ahab. And here's what happens. 1 Kings 18, 1 to 2 says, After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. God says, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went. He presented himself to Ahab. Ahab's been looking for him. He sees him in the distance. And look down to verse, go down to verse 17. Verse 17 says this. It says, when Ahab, when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? In other words, all those things you said was going to happen, that you said were going to happen, the, the drought, all these kind of horrible things, they're taking place. It's your fault. You've brought all this upon us. Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Elijah says, I I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command. You followed the Baals. He says, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring, he said, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Ahab meets Elijah, and Elijah basically says this. He says, look, I've got a message from God. God has seen all that has taken place, and now we're going to have a God showdown, a God Super Bowl, if you will. That's what's going to take place. And here's what what we're going to do. We're each going to prepare a sacrifice, build an altar, prepare a sacrifice. We're going to put the the animal on 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 the altar, have the sacrifice ready. But instead of what we usually do, instead of lighting the sacrifice for our God, we are going to wait, we're going to pray, and we're going to ask for my God or your God to light the sacrifice. And whichever God does it, that is the one true God. Ahab thinks that sounds great. He says, I'll even let you guys go first. So look at what takes place. 1 Kings 18, um, 27 to 29. There's these 800 prophets, and they start off very early in the morning. It says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. You see, what had happened here was that they had prayed all morning. They were praying for their God to light light the sacrifice, and then nothing. Elijah's sitting off in the corner, maybe in some kind of, you know, babu kind of futon. Who knows? But he's watching all this, and he does what just might be the first trash-talking in recorded history. (laughs) Elijah looks at them and says, Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Or busy. Now, that word busy, real quick, you're going to love this. Some commentators, in fact, most commentators think this. That word busy is a very kind translation for what he really said. He said, perhaps your God is in the bathroom. And you've got to love Elijah. Maybe he's deep in thought. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's even traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder Then incredible. They slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Picture this, 850 people praying, singing, dancing, bleeding, limbs hanging off. It's just an incredible sight. And Elijah is talking trash the whole time. It's beautiful. Midday passed. They've gone on for six, seven, eight hours. They continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. 
But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Elijah watches all of this. And finally, the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asherah just kind of give up. And now it's, it's, it's evening, it's nighttime. It's Elijah's turn. And what Elijah does here first is he, and, and this is just so key, he first goes over and he takes these 12 stones that represent the tribes of Israel and rebuilds this altar. In other words, what he's doing is he's telling the people, you need to remember where you've come from. You need to remember who your God really is. It's just so rich. He rebuilds this altar. He's taken their minds back. He fixes it up. And then he does something that really doesn't seem to make any sense at all. Elijah gathers all these 850 prophets. They all kind of come forward. I mean, they're kind of limping, arms kind of dragging, blood everywhere. He brings them up. They're sweating. They're just, they're just a mess. He says, guys, I know you're really tired. But before we do the altar thing, I need you to do me a favor. He said, can you all go back, kind of get a bucket of water, bring it up, and then we're going to dump it on the sacrifice. The prophets who still have their minds about them kind of look at each other and think, this sounds crazy. One of the guys says, yeah, but we're losing. So they go and they get the water. They bring it. They dump it on the sacrifice. 850 guys get this water and they pour it on the sacrifice. Elijah looks at the sacrifice. It's soaking wet. It's not how you start a fire. And he says, guys, I'm really, I'm really, really sorry. I know you're tired. I know it's been a long day. It hasn't turned out the way you thought it would. But here's what I need you to do. Can you do it one more time? One more time. So they go back and they get some more water and they pour it on the sacrifice. And Elijah says, guys, I promise this is the last time. If you could, okay, maybe not you. You can sit down. Your arm just fell off. But could the rest of you guys, could you go back and get some water and pour it on the sacrifice? That's what happens. They pour the water. And the Bible says there's so much. Elijah had made this trench, this very wide trench around the altar. There's so much water, the trench is even overflowing with water. Well, now it's Elijah's turn to pray. The other guys had prayed all day, had slashed themselves, jumped around, danced, sung, done everything, and it's Elijah's turn to pray. And again, if you're just reading through this story, and maybe you're kind of getting this part and you're kind of skimming this because you just want to get to the end to see how the story ends, if you do that, you're going to miss this great part because Elijah's prayer is fascinating. Check out how he prays. It says, at the time of the sacrifice... The prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. In other words, remember. Remember whose you are. Remember everything he's done. Abraham, Isaac, and Israel brings brings back a flood of memories for the Israelites. He said, And let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. The biggest moment in Elijah's life, his life is hanging in the balance. So make no mistake about it. If God does not show up and answer 850 to one, the king is against him, he's been taunting them. If God doesn't show up, His life is over. This day is either going to end with God doing what Elijah prays and believes he will or with Elijah's life coming to an end. If that's the case, wouldn't you think that maybe his prayer would have a little more juice? 
I mean, maybe his prayer would be a little longer. I don't know. Maybe he'd want to dance a little bit. Maybe he'd want to do something special. But he doesn't. And he doesn't have to. Elijah was, as they used to say in church, all prayed up. See, Elijah knew something that we need to know, that the only way to fight the battle was to start fighting, was to pray before it even starts. I mean, we all pray, right, once we get the news. I mean, once the phone rings, once the boss calls us into the office for that conversation we never want to have, I mean, once she calls and says, maybe it's not going to work out, we all pray then. I mean, when the sun is shining and the flowers are in bloom, maybe we don't pray so much then. But Elijah's saying, that is when we should pray. Because then, when the sun goes down and the flowers fade, you won't have to do anything differently. You see, Elijah did not fight this battle on Mount Carmel. He didn't fight this battle against Jezebel and the 850 prophets and Ahab on this very day. I think he fought the battle on his knees by a brook. I think he fought this battle on his knees in a widow's house months or maybe a year earlier. That's why Elijah's prayer is so short. He didn't have to cram for this test. He had been praying and trusting in God all along. So Elijah gives this maybe 50-word prayer, and here's what happens next. He's just waiting for God to answer. It says, then, at the end of his prayer, the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. God doesn't do it halfway. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. What else are you going to say, <laughs> right? Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let, them, don't let anyone get away. So they seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Elijah and his God have won, and it is in a rout. You don't need to go back to the booth and check the instant replay. There is no doubt about it. God has shown up, and Elijah and his God have won. And Ahab, from his luxury box seat, sees all of this, and he can't believe it. He's looking at all that's taken place, and then he looks in the distance. It hasn't rained for three years, and clouds are beginning to form. Rain clouds. It's going to rain for the first time in years. I mean, things are starting to turn around for Elijah. I mean, imagine the scene. The Israelites are running up to Elijah. They hoist him up on their shoulders. They're kind of walking around. They put him down. Somebody comes over and brings a bucket of Gatorade, throws it on top of Elijah's head, right? The phone rings. Somebody says, Elijah, Oprah is on line one. She wants to do a one-hour primetime interview with you. Steven Spielberg calls next and says, Elijah, I want to talk to you next summer. I can see it now. The blockbuster, Elijah, Brad Pitt said he'll play you in next summer's movie. I mean, that has to be the scene right? That has to be what's going on. I mean, this, Elijah has prayed and waited for this day, and God showed up in a huge way. Elijah has to be riding high, right? I mean, he has to be excited. Yet, this is where the story takes an unforeseen turn. Ahab, he goes back home, and you know who's waiting for him, Jezebel, 
and she's not happy. Ahab tells her everything that has happened. He said, that Elijah guy, well, he came back today, and then he wanted to do this crazy thing. We're up on this mountain, and there's a sacrifice, and all your prophets, man, they were good. They did what you said. They were slashing themselves and jumping up and down and praying all day, and nothing. And then Elijah shows up and prays this really kind of wimpy prayer, and then boom, special fire the whole bit, and it's all kind of taken care of. And then one last thing, Elijah had all your prophets slaughtered and killed. Jezebel listens to all this. She listens to all that's been said, and she gets angry. Look at what takes place next. 1 Kings 19, 1 and 2 says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other, in other words, Elijah, I'm going to make you like all of my dead prophets. You, Elijah, are a dead man. Now think just for a second. If you're Elijah, right? I mean, the day that you have just had. It has been an incredible day. I mean, you're, you're going you're gonna to dine on this for a long time, right? I mean, this is a big day. If you're Elijah, are you really scared? I mean, one woman says she's all angry and mad and she's going to take your life. I mean, God has shown up in an amazing way today, 850 to 1. You're on the mountain. God answers the prayer. Are you really scared? After all that God has done, are you really afraid? But the Bible tells us, if you look at the next phrase, that Elijah was afraid. And you read that and you think, afraid of what? I mean, the king of the nation just fled from in front of you. What is there to be afraid of? You've won, Elijah. It's over. The people are turning their hearts back to God. Look at 1 Kings 19, 3 to 5. It says this. It says, um, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, which, get this, is 100 miles away. That took him anywhere from two weeks to a month. He goes there, says he left his servant there. He drugged some poor guy along with him. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. And honestly, I read that and I think, have I missed something in the story? Did they leave a chapter or a book out? Are the pages of my Bible just kind of stuck together? He's afraid? This is what he prays. He prays to God. He says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. And we're thinking, you ran away? I mean, really, after all that God had done for you, you ran? Look down to, uh, to verse 8. It says this. So he slept, then he got up, ate and drank, strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There, he hasn't hidden enough. He went into a cave to spend the night. By this time, Elijah is two months at least, walking distance away from where all the action is. He has completely taken his eyes off God and instead focused on his problem. 
And that's what Satan wants us to do, isn't it? I mean, when we are hit with a problem, he wants us to take our eyes off our God and on our problem. Take our eyes off our problem solver and instead magnify the problem that sits in front of us. I mean, after God has already done, and all, I mean, we could just take turns coming up here and telling marriages have been restored, people have been healed, lives turned around, addictions put in the past, and focused on Christ and focused on God after all that God has done. And Elijah has a very similar experience after all that God has done. Yet he's afraid. But see, that's why I love the next part of this story. And this part is so important. Please, please make sure you don't miss this part. Because I think this is God's question for you today. I think it's God's question for me too. Whenever we let the unknown, the fear of the future, the uncertainty that we face, take hold of us and take our eyes off him. Look at what God says to Elijah. Elijah's been running, praying that he might die, hiding. It says, and the word of the Lord came to him. And God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah, what are you doing here? I mean, Elijah, you're 200 miles away from where all the action is. What are you doing here? Elijah, didn't I care for you? Yeah. Didn't I send you away and, and send you to the brook during the drought? Yeah. Didn't I feed you by the ravens? Yeah. Didn't I, when the brook dried up, send you to the widow and she took care of you? And then miracles took place there? Yeah. Didn't I just, a couple months ago, it was 850 to 1, you on the mountain? If I don't show up, your life is over. Didn't I, Elijah, take care of you? Didn't I show up in just a huge way? Yeah. Well, then, Elijah what are you doing here? Why did you run? Look, look at his answer down in verse 10 of, verse, of chapter 19. He, Elijah, replied, and he's just like us. He said, I have been zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken your altar and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And I think God's looking over the angels. Gabriel, Michael, is this the same guy? Is this the same guy? Is this, is this really Elijah? Elijah, what are you doing here? What's wrong? Elijah, have you forgotten? The story goes on. The Lord said, this is just incredible. He said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. In other words, Elijah, you have totally lost it. You have lost your mind. You have completely forgotten who I am and how I love you and how I care for you and how I move and act in your life. It's time for a reminder. I need to show you something. It goes on. It says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. It said after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. I mean, you read these verses, and maybe you just kind of almost just kind of skim past it, but imagine how, imagine how Elijah must have felt watching and hearing all this. I mean, he's hundreds of miles from home. He's away from where everything is. He's all alone. He left his servant way behind. He's all alone, huddling off in the corner of a cave somewhere, 
and a fire and earthquake, storms, or all these things are taking place. It's basically God saying, hello, Elijah, I'm still here. I haven't left. Goes on. And it says, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Elijah seeing for the first time what happens when God sends an earthquake and a storm and a fire. And then a voice said to Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, I'm God. I'm your God. What are you doing here? Elijah, why are you so filled with fear? Elijah, I understand. If it was just you and Jezebel, uh, things would not have looked good. I understand. If that's really what it was, why, why you'd be afraid. I get that. But Elijah, you forgot to factor me in. You forgot to remember whose you were. If it was just you and Jezebel, I get it. But you forgot to factor me in. Elijah, don't you remember all we've been through? What in the world are you doing here? Still, Elijah is, I think, a lot like us, and I'm glad, because he still doesn't get it. Look at what he says next. It says, he replied to God. After all this has taken place, the wind, the fire, the whole bit, he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Exactly what he said before. Do you know what I think Elijah assumed that we all assume when we get to those places where we're just honestly just kind of scared to death because we don't know what the future holds? I think Elijah assumed that since God had been silent, that God must also be still. I think Elijah assumed since he couldn't figure out a happy ending to the story, that God had not figured out a happy ending to the story. I think he thought if God's not going to do something, then I must do something. So God in his mercy, and I think this is so powerful, God in his mercy basically said, Elijah, come here, sit down, listen, I'm going to fill you in on everything I've been doing while you've been running in fear. I've been very active. Look at what it says in verse 15 and following. The Lord replies to Elijah's questions, to his statements, and says, Go back, Elijah, the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Elijah listens and says, you mean you've already picked out the next king? You mean you don't like Ahab and Jezebel any more than I do? No, it's all taken care of. And then this next one might kind of be a tough one. He says, and then anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Your time's coming to an end, Elijah. It's a new day. There's going to be a new prophet. It's all turning around, Elijah. That's why I'm asking you, what are you doing here? There's still stuff to be done. I'm active. I'm your God. What are you doing here? He goes on. He says, Jehu's got it all worked out. God does, of course. 
Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000, Elijah thought he was alone, 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose, no, all whose mouths have not kissed him. Do you know what I think Elijah probably started to think at this point? He probably started to think, what am I doing here? Why did I panic? Why did I run? Why did I forget God's past faithfulness in my life? And surely because God was faithful then, his faithfulness was not going to end today. God was going to be faithful from beginning to end. Why did I forget? And listen, I think there's a truth somewhere in this message that can be kind of revolutionary for us when we try to fight the difficulties and the uncertainties that sometimes plague our life, when we just can't figure out what tomorrow or next week or next month or next year or our future, what that holds. We just can't figure it out. The lesson or the truth in this passage is that one of the greatest spiritual weapons that God has given us is our ability to remember. When things look bleak, when things look maybe hopeless, one of the best things we can do is simply remember. Remember God's faithfulness in our past because it didn't just address or take care of that one issue, but it also spoke life and hope and healing into in our future. God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten us. doesn't matter what we're going through now. God was faithful here, and even though we can't see him at work, even though sometimes we can't see him move, even though we can't figure out a happy ending to the story, God's been working, and God's been moving all along. So listen, here's what you need to do. I've done, I've done this, this before, and it's so helpful. Do it tonight, or maybe do it tomorrow. Don't wait, because after that, you just won't do it. You need to sit down. If you're single, sit down alone. If you're married, just your spouse, your kids, whatever it is. But get everybody together and begin just to make a simple list. What, where are the ways that I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that God has shown up in my life? Just kind of list them off. You'll be amazed at all the things that come back to your mind. And then stick them in your Bible, put them on your refrigerator, do something with it, and then look at it and remember Remember the God who met all of those needs here, knew today's need, knew, he knew tomorrow's need was coming, and he says, I've already got it Take, taken care of. What I did for you here, I will do again because I am God and I am faithful and I cannot be stopped. Listen, God loves you. He loves you. Let that sink in. He loves you. And remember, remember, remember all he has done. And when Satan tries to send those whispers in your ear that God no longer cares or he no longer needs you, he has no use for you, remember. Oh, he does. He's done this before, and I know he can do it again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the one true good God. Lord, we've, we've been here tonight, and we've... We've sang songs to you. We've come here on our own accord. By your grace and your mercy, you've given us this day. Your mercies are new every morning. Your grace knows no end. And God, we're so thankful for all you've done for us. God, it, 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 would, it is so amazing, just as you talk to people, all the things that you have done for them. 
And God, I know when I hear that, it gives me hope. Because I know, Lord, that you love us, you care for us, you have a plan and a hope and a future for us, and you can't be stopped. So God, help us. Bring back to our minds what you've done for us, how you love us and how you care for us, and let that speak hope into our future. We love and praise you through the glorious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.